Hey guys, just before we get started, I wanted to kind of put a swear warning because I realize I do in fact swear a lot and I just kind of want to make sure if any kitties are listening that uh, you should probably stop now if unless you're a mature child. And also I'd like to say, uh, sorry mom, <laughs> let's get started with the episode. Long may she reign. Presented to you by Aidan Fitzgerald. Ooh, that sounded good. <laughs> hey guys, welcome back to the Long May She Reign podcast. I'm Aiden. I'm your host for this podcast. So, I am so sorry, guys, that this episode is so, so, so late. It's like, what? It's it's Saturday today. This was supposed to be out on Tuesday. Oops. Yeah, so, you know, guys, school's coming up, so I've been uh, preparing for that, and also, uh, you know, I have a job and a real life, so <laughs> I've been really busy with that, and I just, I, like, literally, like, forgot that I had an episode due on Tuesday until it was Tuesday and I was like, oh shit, I haven't recorded or edited anything. So I'm doing that now. And uh, hopefully this will be up either uh, today or tomorrow. It depends on if I can get the editing done today. But I'm I'm so sorry, guys, that I haven't been able to, uh, you know, keep up with my uh, podcasting duties has just been a whirlwind because I'm so 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 busy right now I'm so sorry hopefully it won't happen again I am working on new episodes so hopefully I'll be able to keep up anyway uh let's talk a bit about uh what I've been doing lately um I actually recently got to go to Canada's Wonderland woo uh because I haven't been there since gosh forever and uh with my job because I work for uh, the government because I work for a historic site, um, I get discounts at things, and one of the discounts I get is at Canada's Wonderland. So I was like, shit, I gotta go there, right? So uh, me and my friend Lindsay, who, you know, we've had on the podcast before, and you guys seem to really like, we went together, and it was, uh, you know, Canada's Wonderland, it was really busy that day. Like, we expected it to be super busy. It was a Saturday when we went. Like, there was there was no nothing in our minds that was thinking, oh, it's it's gonna be empty. And even though it was busy, me and Lindsay got so friggin' lucky with um, lines. I think the longest we ended up waiting was like 45 minutes. And uh, that line was pretty cl- crazy, but it moved pretty well. Um, you know, I, lo- I know a lot of people don't like waiting in lines and like stuff, but like it actually, it wasn't too terrible, especially that 45 minute long line was like under shade the entire time. So it wasn't even that bad. Like we had like no qualms with uh waiting in line then uh even so we got on like like seven or eight rides i wasn't really counting but we we did good i think i got my like 40 fucking dollars worth so you know good i also bought a uh, new squishmallow um they have uh themed squishmallows at canada's wonderland based on some of their rides i bought their leviathan one and i love her I uh, have named her Rainies, even though I know Leviathan is a dragon. Leviathans are like kind of like sea snake looking things. But I've named her Rainies after the uh, Game of Thrones character. Hmm. <laughs> anyway, enough about me. You guys don't come here to, well, listen to me talk about myself. You listen. You come here to listen to me talk about other people. Anyway, 
So today we are talking about Mary, the rich Duchess of Burgundy. Now I'm sure some of you uh, might not have heard of her. And if you have, it's only been in passing. Uh, she's very famous not only for being an incredibly rich and powerful Duchess in her own right. She's also famous for being uh, the wife of uh, Maximilian, Holy Roman Emperor, and the mother of Philip the Handsome and his little sister Margaret. You guys remember Philip the Handsome, that little fucking bitch that was married to our girl Juana? Yeah, so uh, I think you guys will be able to tell from that that this episode's gonna be a bit of a whirlwind, because Mary is uh, very, very uh, interesting, considering, you know, she's the mother of that guy and uh, wife to that other guy. So I hope you guys are excited to hear about Mary as much as I am. She was really interesting to research, so let's get into it, babes. Okay, ladies and gents. Now, Mary, Duchess of Burgundy, was born on February 13th, 1457, in Brussels, which is, you know, now in Belgium, at the Ducal Catholic castle of Kronenberg to the future Duke of Burgundy, Charles the Bold, and his second wife, Isabella of Bourbon. Now, of course, with her being born on February 13th, that makes her an Aquarius, and I guess I must have a thing for Aquariuses lately, because I, you know, I just did Alice Roosevelt, who was not only an Aquarius, but was also born a day before Mary Burgundy was, although, you know, like 400 and like, what, 27 years apart, something like that? Anyway. Go Aquarius says we love Aquarius. Now with Mary, she, I think she totally fits the like always on the move trait that we did we discussed with Aquarius's with uh, Alice Roosevelt. I mean, this girl was always outdoors, always doing something. She always had she was always moving from uh, place to place and doing sports. She was a really athletic person, and I also think she really fits the uh, stubborn and intelligent personality traits because after all, this was the 1400s, and Mary was a very independent woman uh, with you know control over her life finances. So I feel like you kind of had to be um, stubborn and intelligent in order to uh, live the way Mary did in this time period. Now, uh, speaking of independence and power, let's get to know Mary's parents, Charles and Isabella, starting with her dad, Charles. He's a little more important in this context. Now, Mary's father, Charles the Bold, was uh, quite the character, which I'm, I'm sure you'd expect with having a nickname like Charles the Bold. Now, Charles grew up in a, in a pretty cush position as the son of Philip the Good and uh, his wife, Isabel of Portugal, and being the heir to one of the wealthiest land holdings in Europe. Uh, not to mention being uh, both the grandson of the King of Portugal and related to the French royal family. He had connections pretty much everywhere he went. Now, Charles got his nickname from his military prowess and continuing his father's efforts to expand Burgundy and to make it a more powerful player on the European playing field. Uh, now, him, you know, doing all of this military stuff kept him away from home about 80% of the time. So when Charles lost his first wife, and I, I believe they didn't have any children, uh, his father chose for his second bride, Isabella of Bourbon, daughter of the powerful Duke of Bourbon, and also his first cousin! Yay! Uh, incest. Uh, you know, which is gross. <laughs> now, we don't know much about uh, Mary's 
mom's early life, but she seemed she was, like, a really, really kind lady who everyone really seemed to like. And she and Charles got married as a, as a condition of a truce between their fathers. Now, still unlike most political mar- marriages, Isabel and Charles were genuinely, like, in love. And as far as I can tell, Charles never uh, cheated on Isabella when they were married, which, you know, I know is the bare fucking minimum. You shouldn't cheat on your spouse. But for the time period and, like, Charles's like, position is in life it was actually quite unusual for him to not have a mistress so you know go charles for being faithful and actually loving your fucking wife good job charles okay so now that we have mary's parents together let's talk a bit about mary's birth because it was dramatic as fuck at least according to the chroniclers at the time now apparently when she was born a clap of thunder rang out despite the fact that uh all weather reports from that day uh say that the sky was clear that night so (laughs) safe to say someone was embellishing you know a little bit about um mary's birth i don't know if that was like to you know gain her favor as an adult or anything but you know girl was meant to be dramatic and extra from the day she was born now, I have to mention that her birth was a bit of a disappointment because her grandfather, who was still Duke of Burgundy at the time, was obviously hoping for a boy to be his son's heir. So, uh, when Mary was christened uh, a couple days after she was born, um, her grandfather, Philip, refused to attend the christening because he said, and I quote, it was only for a girl, which is really douchey of him, like, fuck you. <laughs> Now, on the other side of this, her grandmother, Isabella of Portugal, was ecstatic to have a granddaughter and helped plan her christening. Now, I'm like 100% sure she would have been named Isabella when she was born, if not for the fact that at the time she was born, the Dauphin of France was in exile in Burgundy because he had had a little squabble with his daddy, the King of France. So he was hiding in Burgundy away from his dad. And anyway, the Dauphin uh, was waiting outside the bedroom door with everyone else waiting for Mary to be born. And when they announced that it was a girl, the Dauphin uh, asked if the girl could be named for his mother, uh, Mary or Marie of Anjou. So that's what they named her. But, uh, you know, we'll still call her Mary because she's better known by her in- the English version of her name rather than uh, Marie of Burgundy rather than, you know, Mary. Anyway, now despite the fact that some people were disappointed by Mary's birth, that didn't stop her parents from throwing a very bougie christening for their newborn daughter, even if uh, her grandfather refused to attend. Now, uh, the Dauphin stood as her godfather and her grandmother stood as her godmother and they had you know a big feast after with i'm sure like a lot of like you know chicken leg and shit like that it was very cool now even though her grandfather was you know being an absolute asshole about the whole thing pretty much everyone else was happy now almost immediately after mary was born her household had to be set up Her uh, illegitimate aunt, Anne, was assigned to be responsible for Mary's education and appointed Jeanne de Clitot to be her governess. Now, Jeanne remained pretty much a constant friend to Mary uh, later in life and was one of her best friends as an adult, was basically like her surrogate mother. Now, Mary received probably one of the best educations you could get for a medieval heiress in order to prepare her for the huge possibility that she was going to succeed her father as Duchess one day. Well, I I suppose, you know, her grandfather had to die first and then her dad. 
and the, you know what I mean. Anyway, Mary was taught how to speak French, Latin, Dutch, and English fluently, as well as being educated in politics, history, and all your other, you know, typical female stuff, singing, dancing, embroidery. Um, also, one thing that I just love about Mary's personality, she loved outdoor sports. Like, girl was athletic. She loved horseback ridings and would skate on frozen ponds outside the palace where she grew up. But most of all, Mary adored animals as a kid. Now, her grandmother gave her uh, basically a menagerie, basically her own zoo, filled with uh, monkeys and parrots that came all the way from the east just for her. She had so many pets, it was ridiculous. She had a giraffe. Yes, she had a giraffe. <laughs> and a kennel full of different types of dogs that she would take out hunting just for hours. Now, before we move on, let's talk about what Mary looked like. Now, I wasn't able to find really any specifics on what she looked like because uh, there um, aren't really any, like, proper sources, like, depicting her appearance. But luckily, we do have a number of portraits of her from when she was younger that give her a pretty good idea of what she looked like. Some of them are copies of originals and some are actually original. Now, everything I've read about her comments about her beauty... Also, from what most portraits I have looked at, she seems to have had uh, dark hair and, you know, these, like, soft gray brown eyes, which, honest, honest to God, I didn't really expect. I don't know why. She just, she just screamed, I'm blonde to me, but no, she actually had, like, dark hair, which was very surprising to me. Also, um, a constant that I found in her portraits is that she has a really big forehead, which, you know... It's, you know, it's not a fashionable thing now to have, like, a super big forehead, but, like, back in Mary's time, having a big forehead was, like, all the rage, so I don't know if she just, like, had that naturally, or uh, she did the thing that uh, women did back then when they didn't have a big forehead, uh, and by that I mean uh, women would sometimes pluck their hairlines back to uh, get that look if they didn't really have that. If you guys remember from my Elizabeth Woodville episode, I talked about that um, with uh, Elizabeth Woodville because she was very fashionable for having a big forehead, and uh, I can't remember if Elizabeth Woodville plucked her hairline back, or she, you know, she just looked like that. But anyway, so I really think Mary's, like, you know, repping for the big forehead ladies, so, like, you know, go her, go Mary, go Mary, go Mary. <laughs> okay, so for most of Mary's life, she really did mainly just live with her mother, and uh, those two really went from, you know, castle to castle that her family owned. So she and her mother were very, very close all throughout her childhood. Now, despite the fact that Mary's mother was sick a lot, she always tried to be an active part in Mary's life. But unfortunately, in September of 1465, her mother died. And it really did devastate the whole family, especially Mary's father. Because, you know, he was just so incredibly in love with his wife. Now, after her mother's death, Mary moved permanently to the Burgundian capital of Ghent, where she spent 90% uh, of her time for, like, the next few years until, in 1467, her grandfather died and her father officially became the new Duke of Burgundy, which meant that her dad was away even more than he already was. But he always tried to keep in touch with Mary, uh, you know, through little letters, uh, despite the fact that uh, his new duties as Duke kept him uh, quite more busy than he had ever been. Now, when Mary's father officially became the Duke of Burgundy, and after appropriate uh, mourning period, he decided that he needed to get married again to possibly try and produce a son. Even though he loved Mary very much, he thought it might be better if he could 
perhaps have a son. Now, Charles' chosen bride was a lady named Margaret of York, who was the sister of King Edward IV, who, if you guys recall, was, you know, Elizabeth Woodville's boo and, you know, Elizabeth of York's daddy. <laughs> so Margaret was coming over to be Mary's new stepmother. Now, in June of 1468, Margaret made the trip across the English Channel and arrived at the port town of Silus in uh, around two weeks it took her to get there. <laughs> Should have taken less time, but, you know, English Channel. Now, Mary's grandmother, uh, Isabel of Portugal, planned all the festivities to welcome Margaret, which I love that, you know, this whole family was being really supportive and welcoming of Margaret, you know, joining the family. And, you know, honest to God, like, this is just a personal opinion. I think Mary's family has to be the most well-adjusted medieval family I have ever read about. I mean, her her parents were, you know, in a healthy, happy relationship and were in love. Uh, her her grandmother, Isabella Portugal, like, went out of the way, out of her way to welcome her new daughter-in-law, which, you know, doesn't always happen, you know, a lot of the times when you have a duke who's, like, on his third marriage, his, like, mom if she's still alive anyway, can be, like, really mean to new daughter-in-law. But, I mean, these... Almost everyone in Mary's family, I guess except for her, like, shitty grandfather, were, like, cool and nice people. And just were, like, really welcoming and friendly. You know, I love that. Anyway, Mary met her stepmother, Margaret, for the first time at a private dinner that her grandmother had planned so that everyone could get to know each other. And, you know, obviously because it was a private dinner, we don't really know what they said to each other or their first impressions of one another. But based on their later very close relationship, Mary and Margaret definitely got on very well. And, you know, since Mary had lost her mother quite so young, um, you know, Mary kind of latched on to Margaret, even though Margaret was like... Oh, I can't remember if she was in her early 20s or a teenager, but she was definitely, uh, young. Anyway, Mary and Margaret had a lot in common, especially. Now, they both enjoyed hunting, riding, reading, uh, falconry, especially. Margaret was really in falconry, and so was Mary. Um, Mary ended up teaching her stepmother some French and Dutch to help her become fluent, even though, uh, some people did speak a, a decent amount of English in Burgundy. Um, also not to mention, uh, like I said before, uh, they were pretty uh, close in age, so, you know, it was, they were more like uh, friends than mother and daughter, but I suppose they definitely had the mother and daughter relationship. Uh, Mary was about uh, 10 at this time, something like that, and Margaret, like I said, was in her, you know, uh, late teens, early 20s. So they were literally both kids, so it makes sense that they got along so incredibly well being so uh, uh, close in age. Also, uh, you know, like I said, Mary hadn't lost her mother too long ago, so I think she was looking really for a mother figure to sort of latch on to, you know, other than her grandmother who had been very, very supportive of her her entire life. You know, Margaret was really just the perfect person to fill that role in her life, and Margaret, you know, she really wanted to be a mother, and I think she was a fantastic stepmother to Mary. Uh, also, I have to mention that her grandmother, uh, dies, unfortunately, about three years after Margaret of York shows up at court, which I'm sure devastated Mary, because Isabella was such a good grandmother, and, like, the kind of the central womanly figure in her life after her mother died, especially, so I'm sure losing her mother, Isabella, sorry, her grandmother, Isabella of Portugal, was just, like, the worst thing ever to happen to her at, like, 13. Ugh. Now, 
unfortunately, I guess, oh, well, for, uh, for Mary's dad, not unfortunately for uh, Mary, Margaret of York would never get pregnant. I mean, not for lack of trying. Like, they, they definitely tried to have a son or really get Margaret pregnant at all, but it never ended up happening. So after a few years, it was pretty obvious that Mary was full stop going to be the next duchess. So instead of her dad, you know, trying to uh, hinder that, he decided to help Mary prepare for her role as duchess. And one of the big things he wanted to get out of the way was marriage. So marriage negotiations for her started pretty early on. Now you have to remember that Burgundy was not only a very rich landholding, but a powerful one, especially with their association with the French royal family. So men were essentially uh, lining up to propose to her. Now some of her uh, suitors included... Um, <coughs> Ferdinand of Aragon, who, you know, eventually married uh, Isabel of Castile, and uh, they would, uh, well, eventually Ferdinand and Mary would uh, become in-laws when their children got married. Uh, another couple of her suitors were uh, Nicholas of Lorraine, uh, George, Duke of Clarence, who was actually uh, Margaret of York's uh, brother, and then you've got uh, Duke Francis II of Brittany, also uh, the Dauphin Charles of France. Then you have Charles Duke of Berry, who was the brother of uh, King Louis the, uh, oh god, the ninth, was it? Yeah, something like that. Also, uh, Philbert of Sub Savoy, and finally, uh, Maximilian the Habsburg Archduke. Now, most of these men were pretty good choices, but, you know, Mary's dad, Charles, was choosy. He wasn't just gonna, you know, marry off his uh, precious only child, his, you know, little baby girl to anyone, because, you know, he actually fucking cared about his daughter's happiness, and also, you know, securing her independence. She didn't, he didn't really want her husband to rule her. She wanted, sorry, he wanted his daughter to rule Burgundy. Now, Charles kind of <clears throat> danced around his daughter's engagement, kind of like rejecting a lot of people, because, you know, like I said, he actually cared. And uh, this thing was actually pissing off her godfather, the Dauphin, who uh, at this point was now king of France. He was uh, Louis IX. Um, and he wanted Mary to marry his son. Now, despite the fact that uh, he was 13 years younger than Mary, which, uh, you know, King didn't care about that, um, he wanted Burgundy. That's what he wanted. Now, Mary and her stepmother were still trying to figure out her marital future when in winter of 1477, uh, they started getting some very unclear reports that Mary's father had died at the Battle of Nancy and that Mary was now officially Duchess of Burgundy. Now, for a little while, I think a couple of weeks, Mary held out hope that the reports were false because she was quite young and she, she didn't really think she was ready to become duchess um unfortunately charles body was eventually recovered which you know proved he had in fact died and mary was now officially the duchess of burgundy at you know the ripe age of 19 fucking years old <laughs> jesus christ the shit is about to get put in high gear my friends Okay, so as much as Mary, like, becoming Duchess, like, should have been a time to mourn, of course, you know, Mary loved her father, and she mourned him very, very deeply, along with her stepmother, Margaret of York. It was also a time to celebrate, because, yay, you're Duchess now, it's great. But, you know, it was also kind of a shit show at the start of the process. So, the people of Burgundy were kind of pissed off that the Dukes of Burgundy, in general, had so much power to do what they wanted. 
And the people of Burgundy wanted to have, you know, a little more of an equal share of the power. So they basically kept Mary and her stepmom in Ghent until they agreed to make some, you know, legislative changes. Now, Mary and Margaret called together the Estates General of Burgundy, which was basically like Burgundy's parliament before it, like, you know, had a parliament. And Mary agreed to sign a document called the Great Privilege. Basically, what the document did was give certain areas of Burgundy, like Flanders, Barbant, Hinault, and Holland, their own powers and administrative, like, systems, like, to themselves. The document also made it uh, very clear that she could not declare war on her own, make peace on her own, or raise taxes without the consent of these provinces and town and towns, and only to employ native Burgundians in official posts. Now, as much as I agree with most of the changes that the document made uh, in giving local governments in Burgundy power, you know, democracy is very important, even in, even in a country where you have a monarchy. I just know the only reason that they end up pushing the issue when Mary became Duchess is because she was a young woman who they thought they could bully into, you know, changing the government, which, you know, really annoys me because they would have never fucking even attempted this with her father or grandfather when they were on the ducal throne. But I digress. I think the great privilege was actually a really good way to, you know, give power equally to both her and the people. I don't really think that she should have been able to, you know, raise taxes or declare war without, you know, discussing it with the people that it was going to affect most. Anyway, she had to sign that. It was a shit show, but it's over now. Now, also, because of her father's refusal to betroth her to the King of France's like, little baby son when she was, like, a teenager, um, her godfather was a little pissed, and he tried to annex Burgundy to steal it from Mary, which is so stupid. Like, fuck, dude, you're her godfather. She's named after your fucking mother, and he was being so mean to her, all because he wanted to exercise some, like, weird power trip over her. Now, at that moment, Mary knew, even if she didn't want to, she needed a husband for protection. She needed some sort of fucking ally because she could not do this by herself. So she decided to go husband shopping by herself. Well, I guess not by herself. She also had her stepmom help her husband shop. And as, you know, she was looking through men, I'm sure she had like a spreadsheet. <laughs> Or something, a medieval spreadsheet of all the men who had offered her their hands in marriage. And, you know, she was looking through it and she was like, hmm, look at this one. She decided to settle on a young man named Maximilian, who was an archduke in Austria and the son of the Holy Roman Emperor. And if he was lucky, one day he might become Holy Roman Emperor someday, which was, you know, would have been a huge power boost for Mary if she were to be married to him. Now, most of Mary's advisors did not support the match initially, but Mary was insistent and her advisors were willing to go forward as long as it was made a stipulation that Maximilian could not inherit Burgundy if he and Mary had no children. Mary agreed to this. She thought it was very, very fair, and negotiations went forward. Now, on April 19th, 1477, envoys from Austria arrived with a letter and an official proposal from Maximilian, and a very, very nice ring that I'm sure Maximilian, you know, painstakingly picked out himself. And Mary was like, damn! <laughs> and, you know, of course, she immediately accepted, because that, that's bold. <laughs> 
Now, a proxy wedding was held between uh, the two of them uh, two days later to uh, seal the match. You know, we've talked a little bit about proxy weddings before. If you guys forget, basically a proxy wedding is like a mock wedding to kind of uh, seal an alliance uh, when the the future uh, married couple can't be together. Um, each one of them kind of has a separate wedding. They have uh, one of their friends or something, or maybe even a, a sibling stand in for uh, the other spouse. And they're like legally married, uh, but like only like a name until they can, you know, have their official in-person wedding. So that's what uh, Maximilian and Mary did until, uh, you know, Max could uh, get his ass to uh, Burgundy from Austria, which was, you know, quite a ways away. Now, Maximilian uh, left Austria in in about May, and it took him uh, about 10 weeks to make into Burgundy, mostly because he didn't have uh, very much money. So it wasn't really uh, the easiest journey for him to make when he was uh, so incredibly poor on his own. Now, he finally ended up arriving in uh, late August, about August 18th, and that same day they were officially married in uh, Ghent. Okay, so now that we've got our boo things married, uh, let's talk about Mary's new boo thing, Maximilian, because I've got to say, I am damn impressed with this man because he's a very different person at this time than the cunning politician he would end up uh, being in, you know, the adult version of Maximilian is, you know, someone I don't really like. But younger Maximilian, I mean, damn. Now, Maximilian at this time, he was the son of Frederick III, Holy Roman Emperor, a.k.a. Uh, Frederick Habsburg, and uh, his wife, Eleanor of Portugal, which, uh, you know, as we've uh, mentioned, Mary's uh, grandmother was a Portuguese princess, which means that Mary and Max were cousins through Portugal, but uh, really only second cousins, which, you know, in terms of royalty was, you know, basically fucking strangers. Um, and also, like, in, in like, hindsight doesn't really uh, mean much for their children in terms of, like, genetic defects. A anyway, <laughs> after all, Max was a Habsburg. What do you expect from him? Now, Max was born in 1459, which means he was two years younger than her. Damn, which is, like, very refreshing instead of her marrying some, like, 50-year-old man. Um, she was actually older than him. Nice. Now, Max was a really charming kid, like, just in general, a charming person. He had this, like, nice golden blonde hair, dark eyes. He was as well-educated as Mary, if not more well-educated than Mary. Uh, he spoke seven languages, uh, um, much like his new wife. Uh, he enjoyed hunting and riding and various other sports. He was as athletic as Mary, and if not more athletic than she was. Now, basically, right off the bat, they not only got along, but they really, really fell in love. Like, hardcore, head-over-heels, fucking in love forever. Now, uh, th there's a lot of cute things about their relationship that I found out through researching them, and uh, I, I love a lot of these. Now, Mary immediately taught him how to ice skate like she did as a child, uh, which uh, he wasn't very good at, but, you know, she uh, helped him get better, which is so cute. I can just imagine them, like, on a frozen lake in front of a castle in Burgundy and like he's just like slipping and sliding and she's like trying to help him and they're like laughing it's probably so cute and they read poems together and bonded over their love of animals I'm sure Mary you know introduced Max to uh you know her pet giraffe 
you know, they also both really love dogs, which, you know, was great for uh, Mary because, you know, she had that whole kennel of dogs to show Max. Um, in fact, speaking of their shared love of dogs, Mary's greyhounds actually slept in their shared room, which was actually uh, really unconventional, one, for them to sleep in the same room, and two, for uh, their dogs to sleep in the room with them, which, you know, God, they're just such a well-adjusted fucking couple. <laughs> Anyway, Mary taught Max to uh, speak French, and he taught her uh, his uh, native German. Uh, she cheered him on at uh, his favorite sports, like uh, jousting, which he was so good at. at uh, sorry, he was so good at that when he was a kid, his dad made a rule for him that he wasn't allowed to joust, and no one was allowed to joust him, but uh, Max didn't really care. Um, now, not too long after the wedding, Mary became pregnant, actually very quickly, and gave birth to, um, her son and heir, Philip, in 1478, who, you know, is generally known to history as Philip the Handsome. Yes, as I said, that Philip the Handsome from our Juana episode. Now, uh, his christening took place on the 20th of June, and it was Margaret who carried him to the baptismal font. Um, and she acted as his godmother, which is, I think, is very sweet that Mary wants to include her, uh, stepmother in the christening and to make her the godmother of her first child. Now, at the time, Maximilian was away on campaign, uh, fighting the French for Mary, and unfortunately did not see his newborn son until about, uh, August or so, which, you know, really sucks. I'm sure Max really wanted to be there, but, you know, he was busy, you know, making sure that their land wasn't invaded by the French. Now, the French forces threatening Burgundy were defeated uh, by about 1479, and uh, not too long after that, on January 10th, uh, 1480, Mary gave birth to her second child, a daughter named Margaret, named after, of course, her step-grandmother. And uh, once again, Margaret uh, carried the child to the uh, baptismal font and acted as godmother to the second child. Uh, not too long after that, a third child was born to Mary uh, and Max in September 1481. Little boy was named Francis, uh, also called uh, France, you know, more of the uh, German spelling of his name. Uh, but unfortunately, he died when he was just a few months old, which really, really hit Mary and Max hard. They had been, you know, so successful with pregnancies and babies so far. And uh, losing... Franz was just, like, a huge hit to them. Now, from what I read about Mary, I genuinely think she was a fucking phenomenal mother, as, you know, medieval mothers go. She genuinely cared about her children and spent a, a crazy amount of time with them, which was, was a rarity for the time. And also, and I love this, she breastfed her own fucking kids, which, you know, you know, nowadays we're like, oh, so fucking what big deal she breastfed her kids but like back then breastfeeding your own kids was a huge taboo for noble women because uh, i believe it was believed and I, I think this is like an actual scientific fact that like your your fertility goes down if you breastfeed your kids but it, it didn't really seem to affect mary very much because she was just having baby after baby and the fact that she did it just like you know shows that she did not give a fuck. She wanted to take care of her children. She wanted to be a present mother in her children's life, you know, more than her father was, even though he couldn't really help that. And, you know, more than her mother had been, you know, after 
Uh, she unfortunately died. She wanted to be there for her children. She wanted them to remember her. And honestly, I think that's fucking beautiful. But unfortunately, fate wouldn't play out the way she exactly wanted. It's about to get sad, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, so in March of 1482, Mary wasn't having the best time. She was in a complete pit of fucking despair. Like, some serious postpartum depression from losing her son, Franz. And she just wasn't her, you know, regular, happy, go-lucky self. Now, in order to get her spirits up, her master of horse, Lord Ravenstein, who was a very good friend, friend of hers, decided to organize a falcon hunt to, you know, raise her spirits, get her back on her feet, you get her smiling again. And Mary agreed to go on the hunt. And... On the hunt, she seemed like she was having fun and seemed to get back to her usual self. Like, it was a really great day until tragedy unfortunately struck. Now, Mary was an incredible horse rider. I mean, she was incredibly skilled. And, you know, that entire day she seemed to be having so much fun and, you know, was, you know, mastering her, her skill of riding on her horse until she was unexpectedly thrown from her horse after it went over a ditch and it sent her crashing onto the grass. Now when everyone, you know, gasped and gathered around to see if she was okay, she didn't look physically hurt, but she was, you know, telling everyone I'm in a lot of pain. So she was carried back to the castle in Ghent and a doctor was called to help her. Now, even though uh, physically on the outside she didn't look very hurt, uh, the doctor said she was bleeding internally and that her back was probably broken. And it was unlikely that she would survive. They would do everything they could to help her. But her condition was just getting, you know, worse and worse. And back then, a broken back, you know, nowadays, you know, it's, it's a pretty serious injury. But, you know, it's fixable now. But, you know, getting a broken back like that back then was just not something you were generally going to survive, and over time her condition was getting worse and worse as the days went by. Despite all the praying her family and everyone around her was doing, no one could do much for her. Mary was in some severe pain. I think Mary really understood that she was going to die, uh, and she, you know, comforted poor Max, who was, you know, you know, distraught. Now, she said goodbye to her staff and to her children, uh, Philip and Margaret were about four and two at the time, and she, you know, begged her stepmother, Margaret of York, to, you know, guard and watch over her children as best as, you know, she could, you know, be a mother to them. Uh, Mary made her will, naming her husband guardian of her heir, Philip, and, uh, also guardian, you know, of course, of Margaret and everything. Uh, Mary unfortunately passed away March 27th, 1482. She was 25 years old and possibly, we, we believe, pregnant with a fourth baby. Now, she was buried in the church of Our Lady in Burgess. Uh, in 1502, she uh, was reinterred under a magnificent bronze monument uh, made for her by uh, Pierre de Brookshire of Brussels. I believe this was commissioned by her son, Philip, uh, that ex still exists. And I would honestly love to, like, you know, go and see it, because I'm sure it's a magnificent monument to her. Now, after Mary's death, her four-year-old son was made Duke of Burgundy under the guardianship of his father, 
Now, almost immediately after Mary died, the King of France, of course, reignited hostilities because, you know, there was a four-year-old on the ducal throne. And these hostilities lasted for quite a long time. Uh, in fact, Mary's daughter, uh, Margaret, uh, in order to stop the fighting, had to be betrothed to uh, the Dauphin, who uh, Mary was too old to marry. <laughs> Uh, pretty much they did this just to calm Louis down to get him to leave them alone, uh, but he never did despite the fact that little baby Margaret had to be uh, engaged to the Dauphin. He still ignited hostilities. It's actually, uh, th this whole war between Burgundy and France is actually one of the reasons for the double marriage uh, between Philip and uh, Juana and uh, Margaret and uh, Juan to Isabella of uh who were Isabella of Castile's kids, uh, because both of them were having trouble with France, and they thought, you know, the double marriage alliance would, you know, do better after, you know, little Margaret's uh, whole engagement with the Dauphin got uh, broken off, so, you know, that happened. Um, Philip, as you know, grew up to be uh, a douchebag. <laughs> uh, however, her daughter, Margaret, uh, was a big power player in Europe, and ended up becoming a regent for uh, Mary's grandson. Uh, who was, yeah, Charles. <laughs> now, Maximilian did eventually become the Holy Roman Emperor and uh, became one of Europe's most powerful men. Uh, he did end up marrying again, uh, but none of his next two wives compared to his love for Mary. And he really did love her for the rest of his life, like, to the point where, like, you know, his other wives were, like, a little annoyed that they couldn't get the same love, care, and attention from Max, which, you know, really sucks for them. But, like, Max was, like, generally, like, depressed his entire life from this, and I guess that, you know, might explain why uh, he became kind of a douchebag later in life, which is probably why I don't really like adult Max. I love, you know, adorable, young, in-love Max rather than, you know, old, grumpy, uh, crude, ambitious Max. <laughs> anyway, Getting onto legacy, in my opinion, Mary's often uh, downplayed in European history, uh, mostly because of how much she gets overshadowed by her powerhouse of a husband, Maximilian, and probably because she died so incredibly young that she didn't really have time to, you know, exert as much influence as she probably would have liked. But uh, Mary was kind of an ideal example of medieval womanhood, but she was also a powerful and cultured woman who, you know, handled that power with grace and dignity. She, you know, uh, increased uh, Burgundy's wealth, which is why, you know, she's called Mary the Rich. Uh, and I truly enjoyed learning more about her, and I wish she were more well-known uh, rather than, you know, just as, you know, Maximilian, Holy Roman Emperor's first wife, or, you know, the mother of Philip the Hand and Margaret of Burgundy. I just wish she was known as Mary the Rich Duchess of Burgundy. You know, cool bitch, you know? You know, um, thank you guys so much for joining me on this episode. I will hopefully see you in two weeks with another episode. I hope you guys are excited. Have a very nice week. Sorry, two weeks. Love you, babes. Bye. Hey guys, thanks for listening. If you have any suggestions for topics, you can just DM me on Twitter at LongMaceyRain2. The N at the end of rain is replaced with a 2 instead. I'm also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, and like a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, don't forget to rate and review this podcast on all those platforms. It really actually does help the show so much and it will help me grow my audience. So I would absolutely appreciate it if you you guys could do that. All right. Uh, bye.